Mexican cuisine nowadays, it's more of a fusion between of what the, the Spaniards brought to the Americas and what they found here. And the reason I have all the insects is because to me, that's what really Mexico is. It's, uh, it's what before the arrival of the Spaniards. So this is the, the, your pre-Hispanic menu. And this is the, my menu, which is, uh, you know, what I created for, for you. flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome to episode 82 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. My guest today is Junior Merino from M Cantina in Dearborn, Michigan. I met Junior more than 10 years ago when he was based in New York with his company, The Liquid Chef. But Junior is more than a mixologist. He is a sommelier and a chef as well. I recorded this episode with Junior just before the Hispanic Heritage Month started. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I share inspirational stories from awarded culinary leaders and how their cultural heritage influence their creative process. You can read the show notes and listen to the podcast on the website flavorsunknown.com. In this episode, Junior Merino talks about his source of inspiration from his youth in Puebla, Mexico, to his travels around the world, what Hispanic Heritage Month means to him, and the 30 types of tacos that he has on the menu at M Cantina. Hi, Junior. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Emmanuel? I'm very good. I'm really excited to have you on, uh, on Flavors Unknown. I think that's something that we have been texting and exchanging, you know, for, I don't remember how many months. I want to say year. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Thank you for having me here. It's it's great to be here. You are from uh, from Mexico, from Puebla, and I'm curious to hear from you as we are going to enter the Hispanic Heritage Month now here in the U.S. What what does that mean to you? I think Hispanic or Latino, you know, it means a lot because it's the Mexican Independence, which you know it's uh, September 14, 15, and a lot of people think it's Cinco de, de Mayo, which is, it's not. It's actually the celebration of one state. And so I think that's one thing. The other thing that it's really important to me or that I feel really proud, it's the, you know, Latino or Hispanic cuisine has a huge influence in the U.S. of a lot of the things we eat and a lot of the general market, you know, like the big chains, they ha always have some kind of either Mexican or Latino flavor influence in their cuisine. And I think so to me, it's, it's, it means a lot, you know, because I think we also bring a lot to, to the diversity of uh, not only the cuisine, but also as Latinos, we bring a lot of uh, culture and a lot of, you know, a lot of the things that we have in our countries to this country. And it just makes it really amazing because we have so much to share, you know. People say that they love Mexican food. 
But do you feel that they know really what real mix Mexican food is? <laughs> well, the thing is that there are so many misunderstandings of what Mexican food is. So the first thing I think it's a lot of people think that or assume that we eat a lot of uh, like uh, pre-made foods or frozen foods and stuff like that, but we actually don't. Mexican food, it's all about being made fresh and it's made fresh every day, you know, by the mom or the dad or the family as, as uh, one team. So everything we eat is always fresh. And when people, you know, uh, assume that all we eat is like burritos and stuff like that, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, it's not what we eat in Mexico. It's not what we eat at home. What we eat at home, it's uh, actually like really beautifully made food that takes a long time to to make it's not something we put in the microwave or that it just takes us a half an hour to make actually real mexican cuisine takes hours or and sometimes a whole day to make like mole or stuff like that and so there is tex-mex which is you know all the the different kinds of what a lot of people know as mexican food and then there is a uh, mom and pop kind of uh, Mexican food. Mom and Pop is obviously a restaurant, the small restaurants that are open by the mom and the dad, and they start serving what they actually eat at home, which is fine. And then there are restaurants like, like here that, you know, a chef is always going to have a vision of what we want the consumer to taste. So, you know, we want to create an experience. A chef essentially sells an experience with his food or her food. And, you know, it's, it's about creating those combination of flavors and creating something that is not just going to be the recipes I got from my grandma, but actually putting them, plating them beautifully and putting these flavors together. So also we have a broader audience, you know, it's not just for the people that like traditional food, but also for the people that just want to enjoy a good meal. At the end of the day, it's about having a good meal, you know. So you grew up in, in Puebla, Mexico. What culinary tradition in your hometown, like in Puebla, gives you like the most inspiration today? So there are a lot of techniques I still implement in my cuisine, you know, like a lot of the traditional herbs that we use or that my parents that I grew up using or my parents were using when I was a kid. And so we dry them and then my family sends them from, from Puebla directly here. Like, for example, the barbacoa, the, the roasted goat, usually it's done underground and it's covered with this specific type of herb, which is, which is called azuchil. And then also there are some other plants underneath, which is called casawate and stuff like that. So we still use all of that. It takes the kind of like the gaminess away because it's it just kind of like perf- adds perfume to it. And it's also, we use mesquite to make the, the pits really hot. So we use a little bit of a, a mesquite smoke. So we're still using all the different flavors and putting them together, except that obviously here in the U.S., we wouldn't be allowed to to use an underground oven or a pet. So we use it in the in in the stove, you know, in the stove oven. And but the flavor still comes out perfect. And then we also have a lot of other techniques like the mole, you know, we do it exactly the traditional way. We still use the the two stones to grind the ingredients and to, you know, so at the end of the day, you're getting these beautiful flavors, but when we put it together, it's going to look more modern. But the flavors and the ingredients are 
as traditional as they can be, you know, because sometimes people look at my food and they're like, oh, well, that doesn't really look like Mexican food because Mexican food can be very rustic. But I have to make it, you know, more appealing, more general market, but the flavors are going to be really traditional and the ingredients and all of that. So you talk about, some, you know, mole, and obviously in my mind, I went directly into like the, the traditional mole that, you know, that we know, but mole, correct, in Mexican means like sauce, correct? So you could have like different type of mole, whether you can have like a mole verde, you can have a mole, you know, blanco, correct? Yeah, Not- so okay. the, there is a festival in uh, Mexico that is called El, El Festival del Mole, which is the, the mole festival. And Where that, is it? Where is uh, it? It's actually in uh, Mexico City. Okay. And um, every year, and there are hundreds of moles, right? So it starts with, it is, it refers to a sauce. But in reality, when, if we talk about traditions or, you know, traditionally, mole was started, it was a sauce that the Aztecs had, and then the Spaniards arrived, and the nuns, they kind of made it their own, you know, new ingredients, such as sugar and stuff like that, because the, the Aztecs didn't really have sugarcane or anything like that, but the nuns started adding, you know, other ingredients to make it taste more, I guess, a palatable for them, you know. And so that's how mole, you know, started. And so what we know now is mole, as traditional mole, I would say it's either mole negro from Oaxaca or the mole poblano. So the nuns, the first settlement of nuns that arrived was in Puebla, you know, in central uh, Mexico. And that's why we also have so many churches. And they were the ones that started a lot of these new uh, dishes that we know as Mexican cuisine, which is a, kind of like a fusion of Spanish techniques and some Spanish ingredients and what they found here. The mole, you know, to me, traditionally, like if I order mole, I expect either mole poblano or mole negro. <laughs> you know, which is either red or, 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 but yes, mole can come as a mole amarillo, which is the yellow one, mole verde, mole blanco, rojo. I mean, it comes in every color and with every type of ingredient. You know, some people add peanuts and stuff like that, which to me, that's something I'm used to. So, because uh, mole could have up to 50 something ingredients. Every family has its own way of doing it. And, but you know, because I grew up with the mole that my parents make. I think to me, it's one of the best that I've ever tasted, you know, probably because I'm so used to my mom's cooking, but also because I know that she makes it very, very, very traditionally, uh, utilizing all the the metate and the metlapile and all the, and, and also to cook the ingredients, you know, to toast. We don't use chocolate. A lot of people get confused with cacao. Because okay, we, yeah. You got to roast the cacao and then you got to grind it and all of that. And we do add sugar, so that's where people think it's usually when, uh, oh, yeah, because she has to start the day before toasting and getting everything ready. And then once she has everything ready, then the next day we start actually grinding everything. So she grinds some of the stuff in the metate and some of the stuff we help to grind it actually in the molino by hand. You know, it's, it's that hand thing. So how do you do it at the restaurants? Because I'm guessing... You're not doing like completely the 100% traditional way, correct? We are, actually. You are? Uh, yep. It's uh, 100% traditional. We use the the big clay pot. Where it's, it's called olla molera. It's a, it's a big uh, pot that is specifically for mole. 
And so we use that pot. I don't make a little bit. I don't make it every day. Obviously, we make a, a big amount and then you make a paste. That paste is called chile frito in Mexico. So it's just the paste of the, the chilies being cooked and being grinded and everything. And then that paste, we keep it in the fridge and we take X amount, let's say one pound or half a kilo every time to mix it with the uh, chicken stock. So in Mexico, traditionally where I grew up, you know, mole is more of a, for weddings and for big parties or stuff like that. So they used to always traditionally used to be with turkey. Nowadays, they are starting to use a lot of more chicken. Also, where I grew up, the, some families, they, they eat the mole with a uh, pato, which is duck. So, so they, cause they, I guess they didn't have chicken or turkey. They, but they had ducks, uh, because we have rivers and uh, lakes. So I guess they would go grab the ducks and put them in the mole. But there is delicious, you know, it's, it's amazing. So let's talk about a little bit about um, M. Cantina in Dearborn. And so you, what you call Nuevo Latino street food. So wh- what does that mean? First, like Nuevo Latino, I, I know what the word means, but you know, what does that mean for, for your concepts? And and when you refer to street food, and so Mexican street food, what's, what are you talking about? So uh, Nuevo Latino, in reality, it was something that we decided to call it Nuevo Latino because as a Latino, it's, uh, you know, we're a new generation where all the new Latino chefs were doing something really cool, you know, kind of like fusion, Latino flavors, and maybe a little bit of the Latino culture. And... So it was for easier for people to understand that the, even though we're a Mexican restaurant, it's not going to be mom and pop or traditional Mexican food. Or because I, yeah. yeah. So that, that's the, that, that's the, the, the whole idea. And then as the street food. So for the street food, uh, you know, anything that is uh, finger food, you don't need a, a fork and a knife to actually eat it. You, you just take it with your hand, like tacos, tacos uh, uh, you know, like uh, everything that you find on the streets. Like, uh, you know, like uh, there, there is so much that you can find. Uh, we we do have sometimes like tostadas and stuff like that. But once in a while, as a special, because in Mexico, it's not something we eat every day at home, like hard shell tacos or stuff like that. It's more of a, like when we go to the to the ferry or something, you know, the, there is a street a street food. That's when we eat it. And so that's why here we only serve soft shelf tacos. That, oh, okay. And so the tortilla that you are using, is it corn tortilla or is it? So we have two kinds of tortillas. The flour tortilla is actually yeah, flour, used yeah. in northern Mexico. So it's only a few states that use uh, flour tortilla in, nord- in northern Mexico. And then probably around 80% of the country uses uh, corn tortilla. So the, we use mostly corn and it's white corn because there's a lot of different types of corn in Mexico. Uh, in where I grew up, there's two types of corn we use. So we use uh, actually three. When I was growing up, we used to use the red corn, the, the purple corn, maiz morado. And also we used to use white corn. That's it. Uh, there are other states that they use other color of, of corn. So depending what state you're from, that's the, the type of tortilla you're going to use. You know, I read on, I think, the description of your restaurant that you have 30 different types of taco. Is it true? 
Yeah, so we have actually more than 30 types of tacos. We have, you know, uh, a filet mignon, which is kind of like lomo salteado, it's, which is, uh, I would say, you know, more of a, a little bit of inspiration also from Peru because I used to go to Peru a lot. Uh, lomo salteado, it's something that they eat there, but this is my own way, you know. And in Mexico, we call it corte de lomo, which is filet mignon. And we have our churrasco, which uh, represents my state because uh, churrasquerias, there is a lot in Puebla and with chimichurri. But the chimichurri is Mexican style, even though chimichurri could be traditionally from, you know, Brazil, from Bolivia, from Argentina. But, you know, in Mexico, we also eat the chimichurri. So what, what, is, what is the difference with the last? What is unique from Mexico? This one actually has uh, cilantro, even though it has a little bit of parsley, but it has the cilantro. It has the jalapeno. So, you know, in Argentina, they don't put jalapenos or cilantro. It's just uh, parsley with uh, the vinegar, the oil. And so we make it uh, Mexican style here. You know, it's it's really amazing. And it's just the filet mignon, which is marinated with uh, the chimichurri on top, roasted, and a little bit of micro herbs. Now, we do have, I mean, tacos. We have a lot of seafood, like salmon. We have scallops. We have... Uh, Shrimp, I guess. Oh, yeah, sh shrimp, of course. But then also we have a lot of poultry. You know, we have quail. We have the, what is it called? The duck. We have a few options on, like, pork. We have a few options in uh, wow. pork. Like but they are all, like, on the menu, or you are rotating them? The thing is that we have about three to five specials every day. So, you know, even though they're not all on the menu, most of the time we have them available, you know, and, and not at the same time, but, you know, like they, they rotate. And we have, our menu already has a good amount of tacos, but then we have a lot off menu, plus also we have the black wagyu, which is uh, black Angus and wagyu. And also we have the uh, the A5 certified wagyu tacos, which are 300 and. $20 for three. And so all of those, we have them available all the time. And, and those ones, the A5 Wagyu, it comes with truffle, black truffle, the Luga caviar, it comes with uh, foie gras. I mean, honestly, that's, it's that's an, an elevated, that's an elevated taco. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's amazing. Is it, is it like the $180 taco? That's that one? The, it used to be 180 but because of everything went up so much. Uh, in terms of ingredients, you know, right now with uh, uh, everyone short stuff, so, you know, they have to pay more to the drivers and we're, we have to pay more. So everything just went up. Wow. Okay. So you don't, you don't put that one on the menu anymore or, or they have to uh, break the bank, you know, that's who doing that. It's not on the menu, but it's always available. So uh, it's always available. Wow. So, you know, when we obviously know each other for many, many years and uh, when you were based in New York before, you know, moving to Dearborn uh, near Detroit. And the first time that I met you was in the space and, you know, thinking about cocktails because, you, you know, you're the famous liquid chef. And I tasted your food as well because we have done events together where food was served. So I, I can testify, you know, on the, the quality of, of the food. It was always amazing. So even if I, had, I haven't had the chance yet to dine at M Cantina in, in Dearborn. But 
You know, something that I always remember and that stick in my mind is looking at you and, you know, and Heidi and all the people working with you guys, the number of hours that you spent, you know, preparing everything and you were talking about, you know, making things fresh and, and made to order. And at that time, it was very cocktail focused. So there was a lot of juicing. I remember seeing you guys juicing like, you know, all the fruits. Can you tell me a little bit in your philosophy of the importance of like sourcing like high quality ingredients and making things fresh to order and and how can, you know, I would say people can do that maybe, um, you know, at home because that's not something that usually people, you know, think too much about. Here at the restaurant, you know, it's all the juicing and everything is done daily. We have one person, we have one person that actually... You know, all they do is salsas because you get a tray with 18 salsas when you come in. Today. And we have one person that all they do is actually just prep all the fresh ingredients, uh, like the juices, the everything I use for the guacamole, pickle de gallo and stuff like that. So it's done day to day. And because we are reservations only, we're able to, if we have 100 covers, I only prep for 100 covers. So the quality and the freshness, it's always uh, our top priority. And, you know, sourcing the best ingredients. I mean, we get ingredients, a lot of ingredients from outside of the state because we cannot either find them here. So we get them shipped overnight and stuff like that. Like back in the day, I used to bring all the micro herbs, which they used to be sent from uh, Chicago to here, you know, from one day to the next. And uh, I, I do the same thing with a lot of things I cannot find here. I I get them from outside, and it's just a, our freshness, our quality is always the priority. You know, to do it at home, it's I would say it's a little bit hard. I'll, I'll tell you why because we have a lot of equipment, like for extractors. If you want to extract uh, the juice of a, a pineapple, like here, you know, you gotta extract it to grill the pineapple. Like we have grilled pineapple juice and stuff like that here. The, sometimes the, the, the extractor or, or the, actually the, the hood does not extract enough of the smoke and then the house, it's just full of there. <laughs> so a lot of the things we do here, they're very specialized, you know, and time consuming too. I mean, yeah. that's why I, I have people specifically doing certain things because they're so time consuming. And like you said, you know, we, we would spend one day the day before I remember we that, yeah. prepping and gathering yeah, the all before, the it was all about juicing yeah <laughs> so, and now with the food is even twice the, the amount of work you know pineapple and grilling pineapple and in fact you are the one that told me you know this approach of grilling fruits you know on the grill or barbecue if it's in the summer in order to caramelize the sugar and and give like a really a different so i you know i still do that so when the <laughs> summer comes, I grill my pineapple. And every time I put my pineapple in the green, I think about you. Oh. So because that's, you know, that that was really, really cool. And and I have a question about this, but I add it to my guacamole because that's something that you show me as well. So I'm curious about what are like the different things that you can add to a guacamole? Because I remember the I remember the grilled pineapple pieces. And I remember as well another one with the pomegranate seeds, you know, in the guacamole. But in the restaurant, do you do maybe those, but do you do other variation on, on So here I actually, we recommend people to do it. We have all kinds of insects that we, that we eat in Mexico, like grasshoppers, chicatanas, which are the big black ants. 
We have escamoles, which is the eggs of the yeah. ants. I love those. Yeah, those are amazing, and the way we we make them actually they they're freeze dry, and then we toss them so they're kind of crunchy. Really? They're, oh. Yeah, they're really really. Uh, and you serve that on M Cantina, all of yes. that. Yes, uh, we always have them available, and so people get a side of that. We always tell. You created them, the revolution in Dearborn. Oh they yeah, they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're eating insects now. That, wow. That's right, and, and but they're delicious. You know, we have two kinds oh, yeah. of grasshoppers. We have the grass, the grasshopper milfero, which is the big grasshopper, and we have the the grasshopper, just the one that grows in the grass, and that's the little one. So the little one is actually cooked with garlic and chili paste, and then the big ones are just lime and salt. I also make tacos, so you can get any of these bugs on tacos, or you can you can add it to the guacamole, and they taste amazing. And then in terms of fruits. We tried doing it that route when we opened, and uh, the people were not very adventurous, so we stopped offering. Because at the end of the day, you know, guacamole is a fruit, jalapeno is a spicy fruit. You, you have tomatoes, which is a fruit. So we thought, okay. Like the people would have been a bit more, let's say, challenged with uh, the insects and less than like the fruit in the, in the guacamole. <laughs> I think people do it more, the insects. As a dare. As, as a challenge, you know, like a challenge. Uh, we challenge e- each other to see who's going to try it first and things like that. And then once <laughs> they try them, they love them. But uh, I, I love, I love, like really like the ant that I never tasted them since, you know, I did it in Mexico City. I haven't had the chance to have one here in, you know, in the U.S. So, so definitely when I come to M Cantina, I will order those because I, I really love the ant eggs. <laughs> So it's interesting because you guys, obviously, in uh, in Mexico, eat like a lot of, you know, insects in the food. But it's funny is, in fact, that, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about the brand, but you have, you know, those, uh, let's say, mainstream tequila uh, brand that puts, you know, scorpions or all the worms, you know, in the tequila. But in fact, it's more a marketing gimmick than than anything else. Oh, but yeah. besides that, you guys are, you know, eating a lot of insects. So. Yep. Those are things that the Aztecs used to eat. So that, that to me would be, if you want to talk about pre-Hispanic foods, the real foods of Mexico, that would be the real food of Mexico. You know, avocados. So people that don't like avocados, that means they don't like the real food of Mexico because avocados are traditional, native to Mexico, tomatoes, you know, everything that we put in guacamole and stuff like that, it's native to Mexico. So that to me, it's a, if people that don't like guacamole, they don't like any of the traditional ingredients we use in Mexican food. That's really what Mexico is. You know, it's what the Aztecs used to eat before the arrival of the Spaniards. You know, because the Mexican cuisine nowadays, it's more of a fusion between of what the, the Spaniards brought to the Americas and what they found here. And the reason I have all the insects is because to me, that's what really Mexico is. It's uh, It's what before the arrival of the Spaniards. So this is the, the your pre-Hispanic menu, and this is the my menu, which is, you know, what I created for, for you. Okay. So talking about your menu is that, can you talk a little bit about your sources of inspiration? Obviously, we, I understand that where you're from and Puebla is and what you've been eating, you know, as a, as a family when you were 
a kid. But, you know, beside this, do you have like any other sources of inspiration? Honestly, my inspiration, I feel that I've been lucky because I've traveled all over the world and everywhere I've gone, I've eaten in the best restaurants. And, uh, you know, I, I get inspiration from all over. You know, I, I was in France and a lot of different areas, you know, in Cognac, in Champagne, in Paris, everywhere. So I get uh, a little bit of inspiration of what some of the techniques I use. Then I've been in Tokyo, you know, and I went to eat some of the best sushi and fish and, and coffee and all of this. And that's the reason we use that meat here, but now in tacos, prepare my own way with Mexican ingredients or Mexican flavors. I think my inspiration, honestly, comes from all over the world, everywhere, every country I've gone to, you know, Italy, uh, all over Europe, South America, Peru, Brazil. I, everywhere I've gone, I've taken, I guess, something that has really left a memory of what something I ate. And then I put it together my own way with the Mexican ingredients, but maybe utilizing those techniques or sometimes bringing something that I saw there, like Kobe beef or stuff like that, and seeing how the chefs were preparing it. The biggest inspiration to me, the base of everything, are my parents, because they're the ones that actually influenced me of the way of thinking, of eating, how to properly eat in terms of quality of ingredients. The most important thing in life, it's the quality of the ingredients because that's uh, what you eat is who you are. You're talking about, you know, inspiration from your travels. And obviously, if the people don't know, you know, about you, that, you know, you have, you are a chef, you are a mixologist, you are a sommelier. Is it from your point of view, easier to bring inspiration from your travel into making a cocktail versus the food or it's it's the same for you for me it's easier to bring the influence from my cocktails are mostly latino influence so a lot of citrus you know like because if you look at the latino cocktails we have a pisco sour which is lime there is a citrus element and then you have you know, margarita, again, citrus element, a mojito, the same thing. So I think as Latinos, we love the, the flavor of lime or sour. And also it gives it a good balance because to me, a good cocktail is like a good glass of wine. You know, you have the acidity of the wine, you have some tannin, you have, you know, a, a touch of, of flavor, which a lot of times it's residual sugar left in the wine. You have the alcohol is well balanced. It's not about the alcohol. It's about the whole glass of wine. And it's the same with my cocktails. I guess as a sommelier, I get more influence from the sommelier side to create a cocktail than from anything else. In terms of the food, I think it's easier for me to bring elements from all over the world in terms of food because, you know, it could be something such as a beluga caviar, which is Russian, right? But then I'm, I'm putting it together with all these uh, Mexican ingredients that at the end of the day, the flavors are Mexican, but the ingredients are sourced from all over the world. We have foie gras, we have the Kobe beef, we have all of these elements from all over the world, but the, at the end of the day, the flavor you're going to have, it's, it's going to be from Mexico. So I think that in terms of influence globally, it's easier for me to put it together in the food than in the cocktail. Is there any ingredients either for cocktails or for food that you are particularly excited about these days? You know, since I make all the desserts here too, we have 
a lot of uh, like really cool ice creams or sometimes I make, you know, the uh, different kinds of uh, custards uh, that have certain flavors or certain ingredients. Like, for example, Zapote Negro, which is the... I forget what it's called in, in English. I think it's called black pudding fruit or something like that. Anona, which is the similar to a sarsap, you know, the anona. We have, you know, so many like exotic kind of flavors in Mexico or, or fruits that they haven't become mainstream in the U.S., like nanche and, and stuff like that. Also, I think one of the 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 things that I'm always really excited to work with, it's uh, with la coche, which is also not a mainstream the huitlacoche here, we use it in two different ways. One, it's fresh, which we saute it with onions and or shallots, and then we put it in a quesadilla, and or we can make tacos with it. But uh, also, we freeze dry it, and then you have the big pieces, and they're kind of like uh, soft and not really crunchy, but they have this beautiful spongy texture. And then we toss them. We add a little bit of seasoning. We put it on top of the the tacos, and it adds a beautiful flavor and texture. I always ask the the guests on my podcast, and um, you know, to have a suggestion for someone like myself, you know, like a food enthusiast to to do at home. So I, I would like to pick, you know, uh, your brain, and maybe you know, tacos is probably like the like the easy one. So what would be the suggestion for a food enthusiast to or home cook to make at home, but with a twist, kind of a Junior Merino style taco? So, you know, one of the easiest one to make at home, it's the only, the only thing is that our seasoning, it's a, it's a signature seasoning that we use uh, on everything, but it's a, it's a chili powder base. I'm from Puebla, so obviously I have to use uh, chile ancho. So we make the, the, the chile ancho into a powder, and then it gets uh, blended with a lot of different spices. And we season our filet mignon. You know, once you season it, we uh, because it's for tacos, you don't need to cut the filet mignon very thick. Uh, we cut it about half an inch thick, and it's uh, it's two ounces, basically two ounces of uh, meat per taco. So it's going to be a six ounce filet mignon that you're going to cook, or you can butterfly it, and then just um, we use a pan here to sear it. Then we cut it into little strips. We finish cooking it depending on what temperature you want it at. And you put it on the tortilla, just a white tortilla. You make a chimichurri, whatever your favorite, you know, a recipe Herb. you make, you put it on top. Take a couple of bell peppers, red bell peppers, because they're sweeter. You ro- open fire, roast, roast them on the flames. Peel it. You cut them into strips, mix it with just a little bit of lime and salt, which to us is called a uh, escabeche. It's the easiest way, kind of like making a, like the, the starting of a ceviche, just a little bit of lime, a little bit of salt. You put it on top, put your uh, favorite micro herbs on top, especially if something peppery or, or citrusy, baby radish or, or baby cilantro. You put it on top and it, boom, it's done. It's beautiful. It's okay. delicious. Yeah. No sour cream, huh? No sour cream. No, no. Uh, <laughs> sour cream is not even Mexican. We use here. I know. Use, That's uh, why I'm using you. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, here we use crema mexicana for uh, our Mexican cream. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and you don't put that in every taco, correct? No, so. no, no. It's mm-hmm. only in, uh, actually, not all of Mexico, it's uh, crema. 
Yeah, that's really interesting because a big part of uh, Mexico, like northern Mexico, they don't really add crema to anything. In Puebla, where I grew up, in most of Puebla, because we also have uh, Chipilo, which is the Italian community in Puebla, you know, we get a lot of, um, that's why Puebla is considered to have some of the best cheeses in, in Mexico, because we have a lot of, a lot of the lactose uh, products that are actually done there. And so I grew up eating a ton of uh, crema and cheeses and all of that. Got it. But a lot of Mexicans, they, they don't. Let me finish, you know, our conversation with a series of rapid fire questions for you, uh, Junior. So what, what's the most important aspect of being a chef, you know, for you? Believing in what you do, being passionate, you know, like being true to what you do, because a lot of times people do it for, I guess, for the wrong reasons. I do this because it, it makes me happy. I love what I do. And I think that's the, the most important. If you love those elements, you will have an amazing outcome in terms of cuisine and flavor and quality and consistency. So passion and do it for the good, the, the right reason. Yeah. Yep. So what's your favorite guilty pleasure food? What I never get tired of eating, it's uh, bagels. You know, it's, uh, it's one thing that I bagels. ate a lot of bagels in New York, a lot of bagels here. Bagels in the morning to me and a cup of coffee, it's great. And also when it's not a bagel, it's a croissant. So it's a, either okay. a cinnamon raisin. <laughs> cinnamon raisins. Okay. Yeah. You put cream cheese on it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What are like the three cookbooks that inspired you the most in your career? Cookbooks or cocktail books, you know? There was one book that, that was, I guess, the, the one that started it all. And that was my biggest inspiration, I guess. Yes, no, it was Mr. Boston cocktail book. Oh, yes, the red book, Mr. Yes. Boston. Yes, it, it was actually the, a the black character book. on it. Yes. Yeah, I have that book too. So besides the classics like condiments, you know, uh, classic condiments, sauces, table sauces and so on, what condiment spicy sauces do you like to have at hand at home? Not at the restaurant, but at home. At home, um, I love barbecue. I mean, that's one of my favorite cuisines. Barbecue, I I love also having a, a good, like, salsa, not too spicy, like uh, tapatio or valentina, you know, like something that it's just easy to pour on fruit or even on food. And in terms of spices you know like or, or seasonings I mean, as a latino you know i think goya has great <laughs> seasonings, so i usually keep you know something from goya there it's the blend of spices that they have that you just add to the food okay yeah got it so when you work in you know in the kitchen or before where you know at the liquid chef what is or what was your biggest pet peeves you know in the kitchen things that you cannot stand when people are doing First, it's, uh, I think more than anything, it's people that are messy, cannot work around people like that or have a messy kitchen. I mean, our kitchen is always, we're all constantly cleaning it, especially because it's an open kitchen. And it's not only because of that, I just can't be stepping all, all over stuff. Like uh, you go a lot of times to a lot of kitchens and you see a mess on the floors. You know, the other thing I cannot stand is when, People are, it, this happens a lot in restaurants where they're prepping and they have, they're watching TV or they have their phone on, you know, they're going through messages or something because that creates a lot of, a lot of issues, uh, not only 
for the consumer because you can make a lot of mistakes that way, but also for the for the people around you because you're not really paying attention to you know, your colleagues. And you know, the there's so many things in the kitchen that, that people don't see, especially the consumer. You know, like when they don't label or they don't put the, the date on the stuff because then uh, you don't know which one is which or what you should use first. Even if you're using it the same day, but you cut in the morning for during the day and then in uh, round five for the nighttime. So you need to know, you know, what you're going to use first. And there could be a lot of people that they just put things all over. So it's, again, it's it's messy people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Work around them. Yeah. Very good. Junior, thank you so much for your time. I really am glad that you were able to, to join us on uh, Flavors Unknown. Thank you, Amanyo. Thank you for listening today. This episode with Junior Merino was my second episode connected to the Hispanic Heritage Month. Please share this episode with a friend or a colleague, as I always welcome new listeners to the show. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Flavors Unknown. My guest next week is Chef Declan Horgan, aka Big D, who was on season 19 of Hell's Kitchen. Chef Declan Horgan will talk about his youth in Ireland, about Irish cooking, what food you can pair with beer, and his new project in Virginia. I see you in two weeks, and until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.